0: This is Upstate's Health on Air. Linda Cohen along with you. Well, not taking one's medicines properly can lead to poor outcomes, worsening of both acute and chronic illnesses. It can lead to increased hospitalizations, more emergency room visits, and even death. Well, hear with more on this problem and how to address it are Dr. Mantash Diwan, Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Upstate Medical University, and Dr. Swati Shevli, a, prof- uh, a resident in psychiatry in the Department of Psychiatry at Upstate Medical University. Welcome to you both. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for having us. So non-adherence, or not taking your medicines, can cause many problems for patients and even for the healthcare system. Dr. Shevli, explain that.
1: And that's exactly right. Um, The numbers look really, really terrible. 125,000 preventable deaths, 20 to 30% of acute illnesses and patients with cancer um, suffer either morbidity or mortality, which means either they have complications or they die. And 50 to 60% people with chronic illnesses, by that I mean diabetes, uh, hypertension, uh, for things that are easily preventable. And this is
0: all because they Basically, are not taking the protocol or the medicines that have been prescribed for them.
1: Uh, that's exactly right, but I don't think that's all, and that's exactly why we decided to research. I think it's because they don't quite understand what it is that they have to take, and so the entire purpose of this paper was that it's a team effort.
0: Right now, you've alluded to a paper, and we're going to talk more about it. But basically, I've invited—we've invited you here because both you and Dr. Dewan have taken a part in a kind of a review of the literature and a paper trying to examine this entire problem. Mm-hmm. Dr. Dewan, what type of, non, what type of in, uh, impact does non-adherence, meaning not taking your medicine, do with the, pa- the physician-patient relationship? How does that impact it?
2: I, I think it has a huge impact because it frustrates everybody in the system. Uh, the patient is frustrated because they continue to suffer. And the doctor is frustrated because he knows what to do and has prescribed the right prescription but sees that the patient is struggling, doing probably worse. Um, And then there is the relationship that suffers because of that where there's, in some sense, an element of blame. Uh, We're all human and we would like to do well. And so then the question is, you know, is the doctor not doing his job or is the patient not doing the job? But the sad part is, even if you have the best technology, the best system, you get the diagnosis right, get the uh, treatment right, non-adherence will defeat everything.
0: Mm. And what's shocking to me, Dr. Chevley, is that um, when you mention 20 to 30% of patients that are being treated for acute illnesses and cancer basically have been shown to not take their full regimen and up to 50 to 60% of people with chronic conditions. This is a real problem.
1: It is. And we're losing billions of dollars uh, in health care costs because of something as simple as not being able to take your medications.
0: So it used to be called non-compliance. I remember the days when we would talk about patients who basically were non-compliant. But the language <laughs> has changed. Now it's being called non-adherence. What does this change in language reflect? Why did we change the terminology?
1: Language is extremely important and if the idea we try to convey is that we it's not a blame game, compliance essentially implies that we have the right idea and we're going to tell you what to do and then you're going to do it. And if you don't do it, you're non-compliant. Uh, whereas adherence and non-adherence really focuses on making sure there is a shared understanding. Uh, the term we prefer really is collaboration. Uh, because that's even closer to uh, the idea that we have, which is we're playing on the same team. Uh, we want to make sure we're doing our job right. And we want to make sure that you understand how to take your medications and then take them.
0: But um, Dr. Duan, this is not a new problem, obviously. We mentioned it's been talked about probably forever, as long as there have been doctors and patients. Um And they've attempted over the many, many years that this has existed to try to change this and attempted with many different approaches. Tell us about anything that you know that has been attempted and whether it's been successful, to what degree.
2: Well, you're right, it's a very age-old problem because we are all human and we don't like doing anything every day for the rest of our lives, uh, such as take treatment for diabetes or hypertension. Uh, We don't necessarily feel unwell every day, so we don't think of taking a medicine. And so I think that it's a very easy thing to understand from the patient's point of view. Uh, Things that we've tried to be helpful, one is education, where you tell them the importance of uh, why you should be treated every day to prevent something that might occur 20 years from now. A hard concept, but we try that. There is the uh, whole industry that has grown around reminding people on when you should take your medicine. So you've got smart pillboxes like smartphones now, which will beep, which will literally uh, send you a text message if you miss it. And so these are all programmable, um, very interesting, but they don't really work as well as we would like them to. It seems like a simple solution that has not worked.
0: So in fact, uh, despite all this effort, we still have these very high percentages of people Mm -hmm. who are basically non-adherent, or not taking their medications. You've both done um, a review of the literature.
1: And what did you find, Dr. Subli? So the other things that haven't exactly worked, but we continue to invest a lot of money in, is after-visit summaries, um, handing out bunches of papers, uh, asking patients to read about their illnesses. And uh, there isn't really enough in the literature that says that it works. And uh, th- it's now
0: part of the whole um, Affordable Care Act right. and meaningful use t- for doctors to do this.
1: Right. And the, uh, the path that we miss out on is people have learning disabilities. Not everyone can read. Not everyone understands uh, complex words that are printed out for them just because they are printed out. And even if they make sense of what's written without diagrams, people really don't make sense of what's going on. So that's what we found. Uh, Other things that have been tried and have had some minimum amount of success are cassette tapes. So recordings of what happened that day. And we found that things need to be specific in order for them to work. They have to be tailored to the patient. Uh, Generic stuff does not exactly work. Generic stuff, right? Mm -hmm. If you're just joining
0: us, you're listening to Upstate's Health Link on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with psychiatrists Dr. Mantosh Dewan and Dr. Swati Shevli, and we're talking about techniques to improve patient adherence to their medication regimen. So let's try to kind of give us some (coughs) things that you found or your recommendations. More about your recommendations Mm -hmm. as to what could make a difference. You've already alluded to the fact that perhaps diagrams as opposed to written instructions. But back up a minute from there, it strikes me that before this pressure to have written summaries, most physicians would basically verbally communicate these facts to a patient. And I can see where that clearly would, would fall short of the mark for many, many reasons. Why don't you tell us more about your own experience with that?
2: So it's one of the things that um, I think is critical in doing well is to have a relationship with the patient that is uh, both transparent, clear, and where both parties understand. So we are recommending not just collaboration, but informed collaboration. The information must be conveyed to the patient completely candidly. Uh, You can imagine coming in and getting a diagnosis of cancer. Anything you say after that is not something that they will either hear or remember. And so even if you said, you know, we found it very early, you're gonna do fine, the person walks away thinking they're gonna die that evening. So I think we need to be sensitive to how we convey information, when we convey information, and really give the person time to process it. So we recommend giving the information, giving something in writing, but more importantly saying, can you go and talk to your family? Can you talk to some loved ones? come back and then we make a decision on treatment it's not like here are the choices you got radiation or chemotherapy we going to we recommend chemotherapy you start tomorrow um, rarely is it that urgent and so we recommend go home talk about it let's make another appointment and then we will look at the options again and very importantly it's your body it's your life it's your choice it's we we give you the recommendations and the information, including if it, if this was my daughter, I would do X, but the point is you still have to decide. You may go with X plus Y or just Y, uh, which may be reasonable choices. Yeah.
0: I think that that timing idea is is crucial. I think that's something that is so important because, as you said, even if it's not something as dire as a cancer diagnosis, quite often in the context of an initial evaluation or or some finding that maybe isn't quote-unquote normal, people's anxiety is obviously raised and their ability to process and retain that information has got to be really compromised. So another appointment and the opportunity to really chat through and figure out what needs to be done it seems crucial right. um,
2: and let me just add yes, one other please. thing when they come back and when they make a decision overtly saying I'd recognize that I have X disease and that I have chosen to take Y treatment overtly saying that improves adherence markedly
0: So we having assume the- it
2: but asking the patient to say that uh, gives them the ownership of both their diagnosis and treatment, and then you support their version of the truth rather than dictating it.
0: That's really crucial, I think. I think. it's
2: very, very important, and we don't often do it. It's very simple to do also, doesn't take more time.
0: And one of the things that I think goes along with it that I found from some of your findings or, or tips, Dr. Shevley, was this idea that to even ask the patient to summarize their concept of their current status, and what then maybe needs to be done. Is that al- along the same lines?
1: That's exactly right. Um, part of the issue is patients feel embarrassed to ask about things that they don't understand. When us doctors are being uh, doctors and speaking in medical jargon, um, it doesn't always make sense to the person sitting across from us. We continue to do it despite understanding it. Uh, and having the patient speak in their own language gives us a good sense of knowing exactly where the patient is in terms of um, their own story. And like Dr. Devan said, it helps in them owning their story. Um, so summarizing is really important. And the other piece that's really important is expecting them to not be able to comply or adhere to treatment. And so when they come back, uh, not only during the initial visit, but when they come back, we expect them to have not taken their medications for various reasons. And once you expect that, the quality of the interaction changes because you're no longer blaming people. You're just expecting them to be human. And you want to know exactly what it is that you need to do in order to make it so that they can take their medications. So be it side effects that they cannot talk about because they're embarrassing or because they don't even know their side effects. Um that make them not feel so good about taking the medications. Or maybe there are other reservations about having the illness itself. Uh, That comes into conversation once you assume that people may or may not be able to take their medications.
0: And that also reduces the notion of blame, as you said, Dr. Duan, that in terms of the patient-doctor relationship, if the expectation is that they may have difficulty in complying, adhering, what have you, then the next visit or further visits the whole relationship shifts in a sense where Mm -hmm. there isn't this idea that you're not you're not listening to me you're not following my direction but rather what seems to be the issue here I mean you, you would come with an open mind how about the notion of simplifying the regimens if possible because sometimes I don't think it's always as clear to a physician if you say take it every other day I mean that alone for even someone who's highly educated might find that very difficult
1: Absolutely. And every physician uh, assumes that theirs is the only medication the patient is taking. Most people are seeing two, three different physicians and at least on two, three pills, if not more. And so um, preferably once a day, dosing is much better than two or three times a day. And again, to reiterate, the feeling of being understood is probably the most important piece about being able to take your medications as directed. And so focusing on that is the most important part. So that's the bottom line.
0: The bottom line is quickly stated.
2: Bottom line is got to work with the patient, okay. and the patient is in charge because it's their life and their disease and their treatment.
0: Very well said. Thanks for coming in and sharing this data with us. It's very, very informative. My guests have been Dr. Montash Dewan, Distinguished Service Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Upstate Medical University, and Dr. Swati Shevli. She's a resident in the Department of Psychiatry also at Upstate. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air.